what I think makes him valuable isn't the huge point totals. It's the he goes to the bucket, and when it becomes one on one, becomes one on two and one on three really fast. Mm. When you're Jason Tatum, he's making the pass out to the wide open guy. You know, he's pulling up, he's throwing the lob to Rob Williams. These are things that are making him great. Not just the fact he could score before, you know, he scored, right. but becoming a more complete player. I, you know, I, I did a story on him earlier or just before last Saturday, I think it went out on, on heavy that, you know, talking to people, you know, GMs and coaches around the league, you know, they're saying this is a different Jason Tatum and this is a far more dangerous Jason Tatum. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. All right, another episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast. I am Joseph Pavone, alongside Cedric Maxwell and a very special guest. We got Steve Bullpet of Heavy.com, my colleague, joining us, NBA writer, uh, veteran. Coming in to talk about Celtics, of course, and this uh, this run that they're on, including what Jason Tatum's been doing. We'll absolutely get all into that. Also, uh, we got Kevin Garnett weekend in Boston. We'll talk to Steve about that as well. And also, uh, Russell Westbrook and the fans, things are getting a little personal in L.A. We'll get more into that towards the uh, the back end of this one. Well, let's start off with, of course, the way the Boston Celtics have been playing right now. Man, this tear, it continues. What is it? 17 and 3 out of the last 20. You got Jason Tatum on a tear right now. He's averaging what about forty-four points over his last four outings. He dropped fifty-four against the Nets, and recently he dropped forty-four against the Charlotte Hornets. Now, Max, you were out in Charlotte. What was that like taking that in, man? And I guess we could start right there, uh, Max, with, with with I guess what Jason Tatum's doing right now. And the conversation is: Is he a top five player? Is he cemented as a top ten NBA player right now? Is it still too early? Where do you fall? I think in the it's still too early. I think it's still too early, but he's in the room. And he's not way outside the door. He's, he might not even be sitting at the table, but he's in the room. And if you watch him, okay. his ability now to take over a game, knock down shots, make plays. Uh, you know, we've seen him dive on the floor for loose balls. He's taken it to another level. And I don't think any of us, any of the media, uh, you know, saw this coming because we saw we didn't see the aggressive nature of Tatum. And uh, he's taking it to a, a whole nother level that none of us, us expected. Steve, what do you think about this right now? Is this something you expected to see out of Tatum at this stage of his career, or at least at this point of the regular season? I mean, it feels like two months ago it was a completely different team, but now they've turned things around. Of course, Jason Tatum has a, a whole lot to do with that. Well, what I find interesting is that everyone's talking about his points. And I think it's the other stuff that he's doing – that, that really, truly makes him someone to be in the conversation for among the best players. Uh, you know, he scored a bunch of points, but he didn't become this player until he started realizing not just how he could use his teammates and how his teammates could make him better. We're always talking about how can he make his teammates better, but you got to use your teammates to make you better. You know, and it's, it's, it can be little stuff. I was talking to a friend today. And we were talking about the old Celtic days. Um, you know, Kevin McHale had an extra split second of time to make his move because Larry's guy couldn't double down as quickly. Larry had an extra split second to get his shot off because his guy had to be worried about McHale eating him up inside. And, it, you know, it's all 
what reason I love basketball is because it's not a it's not tennis, it's not golf. As much as we love those other sports, uh, it's a game where it's it's got to work socially too. You've you've got to work everybody into it to make it really work to win. Yeah, and I think Tatum has done just that in the sense that he knows now that he does if he doesn't get a shot within the first two or three minutes, he doesn't go into panic mode. Well, I got to get yeah. a shot now because I haven't scored. Great scores. And you remember Michael Jordan early in his career, or later in his career, let Scottie Pippen, let Rodman, let everybody get involved because the more they were involved, then, as, as Steve was saying, the less the defense was going to concentrate and focus on one guy. And he's saying that. And, and you know, to me, it was as, as glaring as those things were, I was more astounded with um, – Tatum, when he gave the thing with his hands, told the crowd to quiet down when the oh, Kyrie. free throws and the crowd was chanting, Kyrie sucks. And it, to me, it was more or less not even just quiet down, but this isn't about Kyrie. This is about our mm. team. And, yeah. you know, I want you guys to listen to me and we're going to become better. And I've always said that to me, I always thought it was uh, beneath the Celtic fans because I thought they were bigger than that. And, and I just don't like I just don't like that uh, with, with, you know, kids in the first and second grade because I've uh, got a great story. You know, when my, my son was growing up, because kids are so impressionable. Uh, my son was probably about maybe about six years old, and he was a big wrestling fan. And this is how impressionable he is. So he, he comes must be in Charlotte right now. One day, he comes rap. around the corner flying, and he says, and this was WWF when it was really going. And I guess it was a group, uh, you know, a group called Generation X. So it yeah. comes around the corner flying and looks at me and said, Dad, I got two words for you. And it was, suck it. I was like, <laughs> it, was, it was funny as hell, but it was shocking. But it showed me the power of TV. It showed me the power of kids not knowing at all what they were really talking about. So when I see our fans do that and talk about Kyrie, the impression they give to our younger fans, I don't think goes the right way. Were you surprised by that, Steve? Look, there is there is a percentage of people like that in every arena. You know, they're they're everywhere. Um, I would say that Boston, over the years, you look at it, and there's been a, a lower incidence, a higher incidence of class. The Beat L.A. chant that is so popular, that began in Game 7. Look, the Celtic fans in the 80s, yeah, there was, yeah, the Lakers, but, the, but to start off, it was Philadelphia. I don't have to tell Max how much, <laughs> how much stuff there was going on. Do I, Max? Good, I won't. Um, but that chant started in Game 7 in the old Boston Garden, when the Sixers were beating the Celtics and were going to go on to the finals and the crowd started chanting to the Philadelphia 76ers, beat LA. And I've, I talked to Dr. Julius about it in the, in the, the ensuing years. That's still like one of the best moments of his career. He talks about that time. And he actually, I think he wrote a letter. He had a letter published to the, in the, uh, the Boston papers about how much he appreciated that and how cool a thing it was. So, you know, Boston's also the place where when uh, Joe Torre 
came back after having after fighting cancer. And the first time he came to bring out his lineup card, standing ovation from the Boston fans. You know, right. that's the stuff that, that is important. You know, um, dealing with people that, yeah, yeah, you're it's fun to be mad at somebody else, but I I've never quite gotten why you'd want to go to a game and yell at the other team instead of yelling for your team. You know, what, what's the greatest yeah. benefit for what you want? I don't well, think yeah, it's like you, in their game, if, you know, always getting yelled at. Right. Well, like you said, though, Steve, there's always going to be that percent of, of people in the crowd. And at the same time, you're going to get the other end of that if they don't like you, if they don't like what you did. I just think it had a lot to do with what happened the last time he was in Boston, stepping on the logo, stepping on the face, oh, Lucky's sure. face. Max, that didn't sit well with you. You know, so I just think, honestly, no matter how much time went on, Celtics fans, they don't forget. They don't forget stuff like that, especially with someone like Kyrie, who, of course, these two, you know, Celtics fans and Kyrie, they have a history. And it seems like a lot of times, or at least the last couple of times, when Kyrie's back in Boston, whether it's something he says to the media or whether it's an act like he did, you know, and, and stepping on the logo, it's something that rubs those fans the wrong way. Uh, let know? me, gentlemen, you know, we're all of us, you know, we're here. In, and Kyrie said it was like a, a jaded girlfriend. You guys know this better than, than you know, most. So we always should. The worst thing you could do with a woman is to ignore her. That's what you do. So if you ignore Kyrie, it, it would be like, that See? would be more like, pouring salt in the wound than anything else because we've all been yeah. around when you have a, a woman talking to you and you just you just sit there and, and and she just get madder and madder and I think that's essentially what Kyrie would have done if you don't acknowledge him. He's like that brat that's making all that noise in your school and then people just ignore him. It's like, well, I, I guess I'm not getting to anybody so I just I, I, I guess I'll just be quiet. Well, that's funny you say that, Mac, because I I looked at it as he sounds like the scorned girlfriend, like yes. the one that won't let it go. He's the one that sounds like that. I, I thought he had it the other way around, whereas if he, could just, if he just lets it go, the fans will move on too. But when you start calling them scorned girlfriend, what do you think is going to happen next time he comes to Boston? Sorry, Steve, to cut you off. No, no, it's 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 funny because obviously I was at the game and, uh, and I tweeted in the first half that, you know, the crowd is booing Kyrie. And they might, you know, every time he touches the ball, and they, they might want to rethink their strategy because they boo him and he gives it to Kevin Durant. And that's worse for the Celtics. <laughs> that yeah, would, very that true. really is. That's true. That really is true. But they should, you know, they should be yelling, going, shoot. Yeah. You know, I, and as great a player as he is, he's, he's yeah, not. I think going Kevin forward, Durant. I think you just what you were talking right now about crowds and the whole thing with Westbrook right now or Westbrick or however we want to say it to me. It's one of those things that, you know, I'm a little confused by because my broadcast partner, Sean Grandy, said something when Westbrook said, you know, I, I'm i tired of people insulting my name and 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 saying all these things about me. And, and I have a, a family history and I'm so proud of my name and my kids. But at the same time, how many times have we seen Westbrook do an interview with a reporter and shame the reporter? You talk about me, man. Get yeah. away! I'm not. I don't want to talk yeah. to you, and I'm not doing this for you. And you are maybe the dumb. That to me, you can't have it both ways. You can't right. yell it. You can't say, "Well, I'm. I, I don't want the people to shame my kids." When in fact, you have shamed a bunch of people as a as a player already yourself. So you can't have it both ways. I just wonder, yeah. like, if a guy, I just bring it down to basketball terms. 
if a guy can't uh, has a real problem like that with you know being yelled at by the fans, what's he going to be like if it's Game Seven, the NBA Finals? You know, clean up on aisle five. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, here's the, the, right. the crazy thing about it, you know, certain guys have been there already, like a Kyrie Irving. He's been he's taken one of the biggest shots in the last ten years against uh, you know somebody like Golden State. But if you think about Westbrook, the way he is as a player, and so many things have gone against him, and you got to fault LeBron and that whole system. I mean, as much you know, Joe Sway, as much as I, you know, I love to troll James Worthy, I almost feel bad now watching James Worthy after a post game and they ask him. So he, he his head was on the desk. He's like, I don't know what to say. He said, I thought we would hit our lowest point, but when we lost to Houston, oh, my God, it even went lower. But it's just, it is almost comical looking what's happening right now uh, in L.A. with all the guys, you know, a team that was dead on in the beginning of the year, supposed to win the championship. And I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs or play in. There's an old blues song. You know, when you think you've hit bottom, oh, no. There's a bottom below. There's a bottom below, right? Right, and that's exactly what we're seeing happening with the Lakers right now. And all this thing with Westbrook is not obviously helping their situation. But one thing I have to point out about Westbrook is that yes, fans have crossed the line, sending death threats to his family members, anything like that is ridiculous. Oh, that yeah. is that that is that's, that's disgusting, honestly. But if you keep it basketball, I honestly don't see a whole – I don't see a big issue with the, with the Westbrook thing. And look, Max, we talked about this before the show or a couple of days ago about the impact it has on his kids going to school. So, like, I get that. You know, I'm sure there will be some teasing and people are making jokes, and that's tough for the kids to go through. But at the same time, I mean, you – I just feel like in the spirit of sport and spirit of competition, that just sort of comes with – that comes with the territory, you know. And it's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard for players. Obviously, you look at someone like Ben Simmons – I mean, this whole him not playing this year, this isn't injury related, right? Or not at least the entire, the, you know, its entirety. So, I mean, there's a lot that players have to deal with. But, you know, crossing the line, talking about a player's family, wife, that there's, there's no place for what's, what's, Well, what's well the wife, well, Jackson, question for you. This way, the wife cannot engage social media. That doesn't help either. never win but, that contest. Yeah. These are cowards which are behind these these buttons you can mash here. Fake names. You don't know who they yeah. are. And when right. you start going at them, all they do is get more vicious. And and they're, they're like the guy who's in a car that you we've all seen before who in Boston who will blow their horn at you and bomb and do all this stuff. But if you ever got out the car, oh, my God. <laughs> they out. What, uh, <laughs> what is that dude doing? He's, he's like, they look at you like you're crazy. You, you're the crazy. You you, yeah. you you go people and you you pry people, but at the end of the day, you won't want to put up where you have to. You know, all you want to do is shut up. There's a question for you, Max. Basketball wise, about Russell Westbrook. He's he put up numbers. Is Ru- Russell Westbrook is he a winning basketball player? I would say not. And you and I'll go even further. Yeah, he hasn't really won anything. He's been, you know, he's put up, you know, unbelievable numbers. But it's just like to me about this season with LeBron. As much as people want to talk about what a great season he's had from a number standpoint, yes. 
But if you you look at LeBron's body language, you look at his his work ethic on the defensive end, you think yesterday in, in last night's game against Houston, LeBron James' man was out in the corner and LeBron mm-hmm. was under the basket. Yeah. And we've also seen LeBron James turn the ball over. And he's been doing and this for weeks too, Max. He's been doing this, not running back, not running very, back, not, yeah. run, not giving that. That's not giving them. And Steve, I go this way when they start talking about older teams. I played on one. I played with five guys who are eventually going to become um, Hall of Famers, but they were all old at the same time. JoJo White was in his level for twelve mm-hmm. year, thirteenth wow. year. Dave Cowens was someplace in that area. John Havlicek had played about 17 years. 17. Dave Bing had played about 14 to 15 years. So when you have an old team, Charles Barkley made one statement, which definitely rings true. And the example I give you, he said, old men can't sustain over a long period of time. When LeBron scored that 56 points, he was done. He was done. <laughs> it's the next game. You mean, you mean next year? I mean, he put up, you know, so it takes so much out of you. Whereas you look at Jason Tatum, all right, he dropped 56. He come out, I got 44 for you. I got another 40 on it. So that's I, I got 98 in two. It's a two young games. man's game. Well, that's the thing, too, is it, you know, bring it back to the Celtics and why they're doing well. Look, they, they committed defensively, right? And they're moving the ball, they're cutting, right? Look, I think the ultimate Celtic trivia question is this. No Celtic has ever led the league in scoring. Six players who played for the Celtics have led the league in scoring for other teams, but no Celtics ever led the league in scoring. Wow. Um, and the reason for that is the Celtics, you know, if you say, what are they known for? Team basketball. Okay, so. Even the Red Auerbeck days with the fast break and all that. That's very yeah, important. And it's, yeah. so as much as, you know, as, as Jason Tatum, these numbers are lighting up, there's a little bit of danger there too. You know, that's, it's great. He's doing it and he's doing it in the flow. You've got to make sure that's, that, that stays that way. I think, um, <clears throat> look, you know, if I'm running the Celtics, I would want the ball in Jason Tatum's hands as much as possible, but just not the stuff we saw earlier, you know, 25 dribbles up top. Dribble, dribble, it's, dribble. It's not good for him. I want the ball in his hand. Give it up, pass, cut, be setting picks for Jason Tatum so that when he gets the ball, he can be a finisher. That's when he can kill teams. Yeah, what he's yeah. become now, again, what I think makes him valuable isn't the huge point totals. It's the he goes to the bucket, and when it becomes one-on-one becomes one-on-two and one-on-three really fast mm. when you're Jason Tatum. He's making the pass out to the wide-open guy. You know, he's pulling up. He's throwing the lob to Rob Williams. These are things that are making him great, not just the fact he could score before, you know, he scored, right. but becoming a more complete player. I, you know, I, I did a story on him earlier or just before last Saturday, I think it went out on, on heavy that, you know, talking to people, you know, GMs and coaches around the league, you know, they're saying this is a different Jason Tatum and this is a far more dangerous Jason Tatum. Yeah, is he not yeah, knocking I, on that I, top five door, Steve? What do you think about that? That, that conversation. I, I think about? that's you know that's all context. You know who's a you know because that gets into numbers and stuff, and I think that's much of junk. You know the, the you know the old line that the worst <laughs> team in the league has a leading scorer and a leading rebounder. You know, so guys put up numbers. People would have said, "Oh, Russell Westbrook." 
you know, averaging a triple-double. But he was playing for Russell Westbrook out in Oklahoma City. He wasn't playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Or the Wizards. Yeah, yeah, but that's – well, Wizards, it was a little better because he was was actually dealing better with with Beal. But, you know, and this is not just me saying, you know, that's what it looks like to me. That's talking to people out in Oklahoma City that were, you know, in the same room with him and having to deal with that. And it's, you know, look – I'll go back to this point here that I've made a billion times before. There wasn't a day in Bill Russell's life where Will Chamberlain wasn't a better basketball decathlete, okay, that he couldn't do every little thing better. All the, 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 uh, the, the tools that you need to be a basketball player. It wasn't a day in Bill Russell's life where Will wasn't better. But Bill Russell understood the object of the game in a way that Will never fully did. And that is why when people are talking about greatness and this stuff here and the greatest of all time, never forget Bill Russell. This man is the greatest winner in the history of team sports. Okay. And no one's even close. Yeah. So that's basketball. That's yeah. we're not talking about a dunk contest or whatever. That's basketball. Right. You know. This episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. It's BetOnline, where the game starts. I'll I'll go a step further, you know, where Steve is now and, and talk about the Celtics. And he talked about, I don't think there was a day in 1984 that we were a better physically better team than the Lakers were with magic and Kareem and work. They were just faster. They were stronger. They were, they were better athletes than we were. But at the end of the day, we knew how to play the game. And mentally we became so much more tougher. And because of that, that year, they became a better team because they learned after the ass whooping we put on them. So you think about those kind of things. Not James Worthy even referred to that, you know, and Magic's referred to that like, well, I would give, you know, give one of my rings back if we could have won in 84 and how that hurt. Man, I was so happy that my 24, 8 and 8 really made affected Magic's life. I, you know, I, I couldn't be I couldn't be more happy with those numbers. But, but here's here's why what you did was even more difficult. Because in like hockey, other sports a play here, a play there can change the whole thing. In basketball over a seven-game series, almost always the better team wins. Yes. And I remember telling my friends back then, look, the Lakers are a better team. The Lakers have better players overall. And, you know, it was funny. In the – let's go ahead to the 87 finals. And Magic hits the baby hook, right? And uh, that was game four, Right to give them a 3-1 lead. And the next day, the, the, they have the practice at the Old Garden, and the media is in between the practices, right? 
So I leave the Celt- I leave the Celtics practice and the Lakers availability, and I go off and I go to the, the Bruins locker room because I was having shoulder issues and the trainers there are friends of mine. And but I go in there and there's Jack Nicholson. He was waiting for the media to clear out because he was going to go into the the, the Lakers practice. And I I think the statute of limitations is up on this, so I can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're good. I think you're but good. He was saying like you know he was that, that shot was so. He was, First of all, he goes, like, this is just you and I talking. We're not, you know, this isn't like, yeah, no, we're biblical. Um, so uh, he said, you know, that, that shot was so big, he goes, the Celtics, they make the Lakers mental. You know, sorry. Sorry for the terrible Jack Nicholson impersonation. but <laughs> you know? It wasn't and great, but, yeah. Right. And then they, you know, uh, Celtics win the next game to make us fly back out to L.A. And the Celtics were probably never going to win that series because that was the year that McHale played on the broken foot. So it was probably never going to work out, but that, you know, what you guys did in 84 was incredible. It was, it was bigger than just winning a championship because because what you had to overcome to do it. Yeah. So that's like looking at this Celtics team and, and look, Steve, I, I read a, a couple of your you know articles throughout the week, and you know let's talk around the league saying everyone's sort of keeping their eyes on the Celtics team as that potential dark horse to go deep into the playoffs. But you know, taking it a step further, Steve, you you you've spoken to GMs across the league that have talked about this team potentially being one, essentially one piece away, right? Which is like, oh, okay, well, we've, that's nothing new. We've been hearing that for the last couple of years that you know maybe this team just needs one other superstar, one other All Star, but. When you look at what this team's been able, been able to do this year, I'm not going to go on the limits that this team has a chance to go out and win a championship, at least not yet. But do you think that this core in itself can actually blossom into a championship team? Or are they still one piece away? What do you think? Well, here's the thing is that we all thought that we were thinking earlier in the year that the piece was a, uh, a Lonzo Ball-type point guard. But now you're letting Marcus Smart – be a point guard. That's a huge thing here. You know, you're letting him, you know, whereas before was he, was he controlling the point or other people out front with the ball? That's huge. Okay. So maybe you're also, but there are so many critical pieces here. I mean, what would happen to the Celtics if Rob Williams sits, right? You've changed your defense right there. And that's huge. The easy buckets he gets on lobs, you know, those are the kind of things that, that you know keep you nourished during difficult times, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, so tell me, tell me who's not critical. You know, I tell you know, uh, having a guy like Al Horford to backbone your defense to not make dumb play or hardly ever make a dumb play. I don't want to, you know. Uh, Grant him the right call to make him tomorrow or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like don't call him perfect. You know, what him, you know, manning the middle that allows Rob Williams to go out and and guard perimeter when he has to and be that kind of rover defensively. All these pieces are are critical. You know, right. I mean, the, <clears throat> say that there's a weakness, they could use some more outside shooting, but it might already be here. You know. I was of the mind that you need to let Peyton Pritchard play more because he's the kind of guy that can do that. I was a guy that thinks, still thinks that there's something in Aaron Neesmith, you know, but you've got to give him opportunity. Look what Miami did. They bring in guys, you know, and they say, okay, we, we're going to identify you as a shooter. We're not going to just, you know, when you're out there, take a shot. 
No, we're going to make sure that you get your touches. And that's been a huge part, too, again, of why they're doing better, because the ball moves. Yeah. It's hard yeah, to have some guy yeah. standing in the corner not seeing the right. ball or possessions. Here, take it, shoot it now. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is so true. I think that everything has kind of, you know, rolled with a Jason Tatum, though, as you said. When he the, when the Celtics were really not be playing well, it was give the ball to Tatum, and we're going to watch him try to beat two guys and then beat another guy right. towards the basket. Whereas and I think that's what he was used to. Now, when yeah. you mix the extra pass and then goes around the corner, the ball swings and comes back to him, and he makes a quick – and I said this to Danny Ainge, uh, you know, before he left. I said, man, that's the thing that drives me crazy about Tatum. It takes him too long to set up to get the shot. Well, now what we're seeing is Jason Tatum catching the basketball, making a quick basketball decision, and people not having to look to see. It's almost like you're hypnotized. Okay, I'm going to watch you dribble once. I'm watching, and all the time, I'm just standing. Marcus Smart is standing there with his thumb up his butt. Everybody else is running <laughs> around just watching. And now more the more guys touch the basketball, I've always said this, you can never – as the basketball is passed, you cannot adjust your feet faster than the basketball can be passed. You can adjust it with the dribble, but with the ball passing, you can't adjust that fast. And the Celtics have done a great job of moving the ball via the pass and not the dribble here lately. Let's talk about basketball human nature, too. If you're not touching the ball on offense, does that not have an effect on your defense? Yeah. And, if, oh, yeah. and conversely, if you are touching it, if you know if you're part of the offense, then you're part of the flow. It helps your floor balance. Let's talk about just yeah. basic X and O stuff. But just and you want to put more the effort on the other end too. Yeah. How many how many how many pickup games have you guys been in where it's like you want to play all the offense? We'll go play all the defense too. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying it happens necessarily, but there's some of that where guys' shoulders slump defensively and. Look, you win when you when you play for each other. That's how teams win. Yeah, All right? right. It's like right. when you, hey, I would die before I dis- before I, I let the guy over there down. And right. then exactly like the yeah. teams that celebrate the little stuff. Okay, Max drives to the bucket and scores a layup, but uh, you know Collins, whoever uh, Parish, he sealed his man. Max gets the two points but who really scored that bucket? Okay. It was the guy that made the seal that allowed Max to score. And so with the guys on the bench, instead of like, Hey, Max, if they're talking about chief on that play, that's team basketball. That's the stuff that wins. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, one of the players who truly embodied that spirit, especially on the defensive end as the anchor and the, the, the anchor of the, essentially the, the Celtics culture when he, when he came here was Kevin Garnett. Now Kevin Garnett, of course, this is his weekend here in Boston. It will be plenty of Celtics legends in the city uh, to, to take in Sundays. Uh, his Seeing his number go watch up this, to the Raptors. This. Please, Lord, please, Lord, let Ray Allen show up so he oh, can get this stick out his behind, all right? Please. Uh, I think that, that prayer is falling we're on deaf ears, Max. We're giving you an opportunity, Ray, to come in. Even if they want to boo you, you get it over with. And now you become back into the fold of this family. And you're right. This is a big weekend. And Kevin Garnett deserves everything he's getting. But as I've said a thousand times, I said, Kevin Garnett, 
Paul Pierce, they don't get that with, you know, and I know I'm going forward here without oh, Ray geez. Allen. Uh, they David came Max. as a big, they came in as a big three. Max, we can't give, we can't, we can't give KG his flowers, huh? Just, without bringing up. No, I'm giving, I'm, I'm, no, giving, no. I'm giving them all the love. I, I've been one of the players who said, I've been one of the people who said this before. I said, in my opinion, Kevin Garnett is the best all-around player that's ever played with the Celtics. And that means both offensively and defensively. You know, yeah, you there's, there's a lot, when you said lot that, of Max. weaknesses. I know people a lot of like people that. will scream at me, oh, you're kicking that bird, you're kicking that rock. No, I'm not. <laughs> that What I'm saying right now is that Kevin Garnett wasn't as good offensively as Larry Bird, but he was much better defensively. He wasn't as good as Bill Russell offense and defensively, but he was much better offensively. So in that standpoint, I'm just saying he was the best all around Celtic maybe they ever put on the uniform. Yeah, that that is uh pretty amazing, Joe Sway, when I start thinking in those ways about who Kevin Garnett is and I mean just a huge weekend and I'm just happy to see that they have him uh you know with this day and what he, oh, he deserves for yeah. this team. Great question for uh, you. you know, I just love it. Okay. And I'm not saying, I'm not arguing your point, but someone that would have to be in that discussion in terms of offense, defense, and things, I think would be a McHale. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, there was a time where he might have been the most automatic deuce inside, right? You know, when it's up in the, you know, the slippery eel and all that stuff, and he was going to get to the line or something like that. And defensively, remember this, when the Celtics would go play Atlanta, okay, uh, Parrish would guard uh, Kevin Willis. Uh, McHale would guard, well, this is, you know, getting into your territory here, Dominique. Mm -hmm. Larry was guarding Tree, who wasn't getting the ball. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That that big big Larry-Dominique shootout in 88. That happened the year after Max had played on the broken foot and was never going to be the same defensively. Well, let, let me counter your argument in this way when I said Garnett is the best all-around player. Kevin McHale was, as we know, called the black hole. And there was a reason why. <laughs> Once the ball went in, it didn't come back out. Kevin <laughs> Garnett was one of the best facilitators at his position that we can oh. look at. So that means yeah. that means all around. I mean, I'm not arguing. About, I'm not. And I'm he not, had handles we're, too. We're talking I'm about not arguing your so point. I'm just trying to bring another name into the conversation. That's what Kevin McHale loses yeah. in that in that argument you're talking about. And the fact that I knew and Danny knew and Larry knew, we all knew once the ball went in, it was that, you know, Einstein had, what's that, the black hole where he's like gravity, nothing can get away from it. Well, the ball wasn't coming back out once it went to Kevin. So, so that's where I think I will, you know, debate you with your argument about where Kevin stands. Well, no, I'm saying I'm, I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to mm-hmm. put him. I'm just saying that he needs to be in the co- in a conversation, yeah. or he needs to be mentioned. If he that's passed all. the ball, Steve, he would be in the conversation. Steve, he wouldn't pass the. You got the wrong dude, okay? Steve. You so got the wrong dude. Butter or sugar. So, so you're saying so that that's that, why he's not in that conversation. The only way he could be get a triple double is if they allowed him ten fouls. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the only only way Kevin Kevin McHale gets a triple double if he plays in about twenty five games, and then you still add those assists up in those twenty five games because that's where he was going to hold short. Now he might have got ten block shots. 
But, you know, so far as passing the ball, that wasn't his forte. Matter of fact, we didn't want him to pass because he was not a good passer. Steve, have you uh, have you ever covered someone like Kevin Garnett before? Where does he rank amongst the, the some of the greatest Celtics players that you that you've had to cover that you've covered? Well, if I covered him, he'd score thirty. Um, <laughs> well, look, he gets points for being a in terms of media question. Okay, he gets points for for being a great quote, um, but he gets some deductions for. At first, they used to have. Uh, Paul and Kevin come out right away to talk to media. But then at the end, you know, he was taking a, a while. And, um, you know, there were, there were many deadlines that, that died a painful death waiting for, <laughs> waiting for, uh, for KG to come out. But, um, hey, one thing I want to get back to, I want to ask Max a question. We were talking about celebrating the important things on a play. <clears throat> and I'm wondering whether you would – I remember seeing this when you were at UNC Charlotte, uh, you'd score a bucket, and as you're going up court, you'd turn, or right away, you'd turn, and you'd point to the guy that made the pass. Were you the first guy that uh, – people do that now. But were you the first guy that did that? Because you're the no. first guy I remember doing it. No, that that was that, – that now, you give credit to one person. That was Dean Smith at Chapel Hill. That okay. Their wow. players always – Pointed to the guy who made the pass, okay. and that's oh, okay. how that became popular. Wow, that's weird. Because I, I saw them coach, games. I didn't. I remember our coach insisted that we kind of copy what happened to Chapel Hill. So that's how that happened, and and I just continued to do that throughout my career of acknowledging. If you see James Worthy, James Worthy did that all the time because that was instilled in him. Michael Jordan, the same Yeah, way. Jordan Sam did the same thing. Yeah. Because You're talking true. about your, your coach. That was under Dean Smith. Your coach yeah. at Charlotte. So we're talking about the great Lee Rose. Okay, Max, say it with me. If you can help me, His I can loves help it. you. If you can help me, you can't I help can me. help you. I can't if you help, can't help me, I can't help you. He's quoting right now my college coach the first day he came in at USC Charlotte. Uh, from Transylvania, Lee Rose. And he sat down in front of all the guys and said, this was the introductory. He said, guys, I'm going to need some scholarships because some of you can't play. This is the first day. <laughs> and then he said, let me just say something. If you can help me, I can help you. If you can't help me, mm-hmm. I can't help you. <laughs> so it was a it was an immediate wake up call. But gentlemen, you know we're gonna have to close here. No, I know, man. I was gonna. I knew. I knew you gotta get out of here, Max. Max yeah. on the road. Uh, I wanted to wrap up right there, but I can hear these stories for hours, man. So that's that's probably on me. But I let this thing go. But hey, Steve, we appreciate you checking in. We'll definitely have you on again uh, for Cedric Maxwell. I am Josue Pabone. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast. Until then. You already know, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe to CLNS Media on YouTube, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Thank you, guys. See you guys.